have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn with me uh, to uh, First Peter. First uh, Peter's little uh, book uh, there at the end of your uh, New Testament, uh, and we're going to be looking uh, today at First Peter uh, chapter one, verse uh, thirteen. Uh, as you're as you're turning there, several years ago, my mom <coughs> surprised our family uh, with a uh, vacation to Hawaii, and she revealed the surprise. Uh, to us at, at Christmas time and, and let us know, uh, and we were all going to go, me, uh, Libby, uh, my sister and my mom were going to go to Hawaii uh, in May of the next year. She told us that at Christmas, and uh, so we all uh, looked forward uh, to that trip uh, for the, the next five months, uh, looking forward to, to spending time uh, uh, in, this, in the water, on the sand, uh, enjoying the sun, but not too much sun because I'm kind of a pale guy. Uh, but uh, we, we looked forward to that, and when the trip finally came, uh, instead of being excited that morning, we were, we were flying out of LAX um, uh, to uh, Honolulu, uh, and I, I was in a really grumpy mood that day. Uh, I, I was uh, I, I was not happy. I was not uh, enjoyable to be around. All the way you know, to the airport, which going to LAX makes anybody grumpy, uh, but this was something other than that. Uh, and uh, I was still grumpy at the airport, and then like uh, in, into the beginning of the the plane ride, and, and Libby uh, kind of graciously said, "Look, how can you be grumpy when we're going to Hawaii? Uh, how how can you uh, feel this way and act this way when we're going to have a great time?" And uh, I, I realized at that point that I had forgotten where I was going. Uh, I should have been rejoicing rather than complaining. What does it really matter when you're on your way to Hawaii? Uh, and uh, sometimes as, as Christians, we struggle with that same exact problem, what you might call forgetting the future. Uh, and uh, we forget where we are going, and we forget uh, what awaits us when we get there. And uh, because we forget the future, we naturally live differently in the present. Uh, and so when, when we forget the, the future, the logical remedy is to remember the future. Uh, and uh, that is exactly what the Apostle Peter does in this letter that we know as First Peter. Uh, he's, he's writing to a group of churches uh, that are uh, scattered over a broad area uh, in Asia Minor, what is uh, known to us today as modern-day Turkey. And these uh, these churches in this area were facing a period of intensive uh, persecution. Uh, they, they were suffering. They were being uh, attacked. And, and Peter's encouragement to them uh, in the middle of that great uh, time of trial and tribulation was for them to remember their future. Uh, and uh, if you look with me uh, there in First Peter, beginning in verse 1, uh, Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and, the, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance 
that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. (coughs) Those first 12 verses there in this uh, letter, uh, Peter is, is... unfolding the gospel in a profound way to these churches. And he's weaving together the plan of God with their present circumstances and then also pointing to them to their future inheritance in heaven. Uh, and then verse 13 begins with a single word. It says, Therefore, right, as a result of all of the things that have come uh, that he just spoke of in the gospel, Uh, Peter then instructs these scared and anxious believers to act upon that gospel that he just explained to them. And he just reminded them of the gospel which has secured their future in heaven. Look with me at verse 13, which is what we're going to, to study together this morning. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in this verse, uh, Peter is commanding these scattered and and frightened uh, believers uh, to reorient their hope, uh, to to set it firmly upon their Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and the grace that will be blessed uh, and, and placed upon them when He is revealed for a second time. Uh, and, and at this very moment, we are not uh, facing persecution as the Christians in the first century were. Uh, but we are uh, a church that is currently scattered, right? Uh, watching this uh, in our own homes. Uh, and many of us uh, are anxious. Uh, many of us feel frightened. Many of us feel uncertain about what is going to take place in uh, the coming days, weeks, and months. And... Uh, and so it is uh, absolutely fitting uh, that we look at this command to set our hope upon Christ. 
Uh, and because we all want that hope that Peter is speaking of, right? Uh, we, uh, but sometimes uh, we need help finding it. Uh, sometimes we feel overwhelmed uh, by our circumstances. And, uh, and so the question arises, how do we get this hope that, that Peter speaks of here? It would be nice if it was just the realization of, oh, you know what? I just forgot to flip this switch right over here. Oh, okay, no, my hope is returned. I, I flipped the switch or I, I pushed the easy button and that's all I had to do, right? And then now my hope is restored uh, and all is well uh, in life. It would be, would be great if it was that easy. Right? Uh, if there was that uh, one-stop-fix-all uh, 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 solution. But what the Apostle Peter is going to tell us here uh, is that uh, while there is no switch and there is no easy button uh, to immediately uh, turn on uh, hope, it does give us five particulars here in this verse uh, concerning how we can have hope regardless of our circumstances. How we can uh, have hope uh, even if uh, the world uh, and uh, the nation seem to be crumbling around us. Uh, and that is what we're going to see here this morning. Five particulars concerning how we can have hope even in the direst of circumstances. Uh, and so the, the first particular that we're going to look at in this verse is that we are commanded to set our hope. We are commanded to set our hope. Uh, and there is really a single command in this verse, and the other verbs uh, that are, are present are really just there to support this singular main idea, this singular command. Uh, and the ESV translates it as set your hope. The NASB says fix your hope. Uh, and the idea is to, to firmly establish uh, where your hope lies. Uh, and, and hope is the idea uh, of looking forward to something, and it implies the idea that you are confident uh, that something is about to come to pass. Again, we talked about this last week uh, where we were commanded to rejoice in hope. When we, when we speak of biblical hope where we have a, an assurance of something taking place in the future, not just like, oh, I wish this will, will happen. It's not a, a subjective, subjective projection uh, that we want to have happen. This is a confidence in the character and the word of God that what he has said will come to pass. And Hope is a recurring theme here in First Peter, even uh, in the beginning part of this uh, letter that we already read. Uh, Peter in verses 3 and 4 says, yeah, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance now, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is what we have been saved for. We have uh, a living hope. We have uh, an inheritance that is imperishable, uh, awaiting us in heaven. Uh, and uh, later on in this same chapter, in verse 21, uh, Peter says, Who through him are believers in God, who raised... Uh, him from the dead and gave him glory so that, let me get this, we are saved so that your faith and hope are in God. Uh, not anywhere else, but they are firmly set uh, upon the person and the character, the word of God. And the, uh, the, Greek, the Greek verb tense uh, shown here in this command in verse 13 uh, tells us that this is, a, this is a solemn and an urgent command that is deserving of the top priority in our life. Uh, and this is something that we must do. Again, this is, this is a command in Scripture. It's not a recommendation. It's not a request. It is something that we are 
told, commanded to do. And if you think uh, just of the, the escalating seriousness of this uh, uh, coronavirus, uh, and it was uh, initially recommended, uh, right? Uh, we were, uh, it was recommended that we uh, uh, practice social distancing uh, and that we uh, work from home if possible, right? It was just a recommendation, like, hey, you can do this. This may be the wise thing to do. Uh, and then there was a formal quest, request by our governor this week. Uh, governor Little said that, or made this uh, uh, stay-at-home order. And uh, really, that was just a request because he's, he's saying, hey, here's what we're, we're telling everyone to do, but there's really no consequences if you don't do that. They said they're not going to haul people away. They're not going to arrest people for being five and a half feet uh, away instead of six feet away is the recommended distance. Uh, so th- those are, you know, a recommendation for social distancing or, and working at home, then moved to a request uh, with this stay-at-home order. And then one step beyond that would kind of be the, the official lockdown quarantine uh, that the Chinese government uh, made uh, in the, the, the city of Wuhan, right? 11 million people, they said, no, you stay at home. Uh, and uh, we're not to that level uh, but, but that's the, that level, when it reaches that command of, no, you will not leave your home, that, that's what we're talking about here. That, that's what Peter is saying. No, that's not recommended that you set your hope. No, you will set your hope. This is the command of the Lord, and it is deserving of your utmost attention right now. Uh, the point here is that hope is not an optional part uh, of the Christian life. It's a non-negotiable. We are commanded uh, to set our hope. Again, last week we looked at rejoicing in hope. Uh, But again, many of us struggle to obey this command, uh, to set our hope. Uh, And we fail to to secure it firmly to any one particular thing. So we feel that we're constantly driven to and fro uh, and tossed about by our circumstances. Uh, And... uh, if we don't make a conscious decision to set our hope, just because we haven't thought about, well, what is my hope in? You may never have thought about that, but that doesn't mean that you don't have hope in something. This is something that we do unconsciously, without thinking about it. Uh, we set our hope in someone or something. Uh, and uh, the, what we're going to see is that we are commanded here to to make a conscious decision, to have this be at the forefront of our minds. Don't put this on the back burner. Bring it to the front burner. Right now, it's a a top priority. You must set your hope. Uh, But but even more important uh, than than just merely setting your hope uh, is what you set your hope upon. What is the object of our faith? We are commanded to set our hope but what are we commanded to set our hope upon? That leads us to the second particular uh, that we see in this verse, uh, is that uh, grace is the object of our hope. Grace is the object of our hope. There's a, a little phrase here, what we see, to what we are to place our hope upon. Uh, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, and we are to, to set our hope upon not something in the here and the now, but something that uh, is in the future. Uh, and uh, the, the way that this is written, uh, even though it's uh, expressed of, hey, uh, in the, the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, really this, 
this hope that we are to have has a past, present, and future uh, element uh, to it. Our hope is dependent upon the past, uh, specifically with the first coming uh, of Jesus uh, and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Jesus lived and died to save sinners. We just looked at that uh, in our equipping hour uh, as we, we looked at and studied uh, Christology and why is that important uh, just for uh, discipleship and uh, and pouring into others, but uh, Jesus lived and died for sinners so that we would be reconciled uh, to the holy God that we had rebelled against. That's the, the truth and the heart of the gospel, uh, and our hope is based upon uh, what Christ has done for us in the past at his first coming, but then our hope is also active in the present because by the grace uh, of God we have been saved, and that not of ourselves, uh, uh, not through works, but something that has been given to us by God. Uh, and uh, the verb here says that uh, the grace that uh, it will be brought to you, it's kind of that future tense, uh, but uh, in, the, in the Greek, um, uh, it, it's actually a, a present participle, something that is ongoing right now, and it's translated as in the future because of that little uh, phrase that uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that second revelation of Christ hasn't happened yet, so it's you know pointing to the future, but it's also very much a present reality. Is it to say uh, that even though uh, there's a, a past element and a present element, there's also a future uh, as well? The second coming of Christ, when Christ is is revealed. Uh, and, and then that the grace of God that is offered to us now and based upon what Jesus has done in the past, then at the second coming of Christ, that grace is going to be fully realized. Then we really uh, will be saved from the wrath of God. And on that day of judgment, we will only experience the love of God and, and we will not uh, receive uh, any judgment for our sins because, again, as we saw this morning, the righteousness of Christ has been tr- uh, placed upon us. He took all of our sin and now all of his righteousness uh, is attributed to our uh, account. Uh, and uh, and those are the things that we are called to to understand and to, to think about. Uh, and uh, we must not forget uh, the identity of the one who brings us this grace. As I, as I mentioned, uh, it says that uh, we are to set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you. Not that you have to go and get that grace. You don't go and earn that grace, but that grace, it will be brought to you. And the idea there is, who is it that, that brings that to you? Well, it's, it's God the Father. It's uh, it's a passive voice in the Greek. It's known as a divine passive, meaning it's God is the one who does this. So, so our hope is in the grace of God that he uh, brings to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and that is to be the object of our faith, the grace of God uh, given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, th- this is important. Uh, and uh, in the Alcoholics uh, Anonymous, part of the, the teaching of their program is to acknowledge that you need the help of a higher power uh, in order to overcome uh, your addiction to alcohol. They say there is something needed outside of you. Uh, in which we would agree with, but but they don't care about the identity of that higher power. Uh, for for them, what in essence what they're saying is that the object of your faith is meaningless. Uh, according to their program, it doesn't uh, matter if your hope is placed in uh, the doorknob in your bedroom or the God of the Bible, right? And they're they're saying that the, uh, either of those is is going to be equal and the same. Uh, the important thing is merely just to have faith and hope in something uh, outside of yourself. Uh, and 
Uh, as Christians, you and I know that's not the case. That, that torn out is not going to save you. Uh, but the God of the Bible is able to. He is the only one who is able to. And as Christians, you and I know that the object of our faith matters. Uh, what we hope in matters. Who we trust in matters. Uh, and here we are told that we are to set our hope on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And our hope is not to be found in anyone or anything else. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, uh, and He will deliver us. And on Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Again, uh, Peter says we were uh, saved to a living hope. And here we have a living hope because of First Timothy says we have a living God. That is who we serve. Therefore, we must have a living hope. Uh, we don't have a, a dead hope. It is alive and well today, and it will be alive and well in the future because we serve and hope in a living God. Uh, Psalm 20, verse uh, 7, uh, says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Uh, he is to be uh, the object of our faith. Uh, the living, breathing, triune God of the Bible is the one we are to hope in. And again, it is His grace that He brings to us through His Son. Uh, that is to be the object of our hope. Not anything else uh, in this life, nor anyone else in this life. Uh, and so, uh, we are commanded to set our hope. Uh, and uh, the, the grace is the object of our hope. Uh, and then this third particular that we're going to look at, we could say uh, that thoughts are the preparation of our hope. Thoughts are the preparation of our hope. Uh, and this verse began uh, with a, a little phrase, uh, and the ESV translates it as preparing your minds for action, uh, which in the Greek is more literally uh, girding up the loins of your mind. Uh, and you're, you may be thinking, what in the world is he talking about here? What is he saying? And, uh, and, and this is a weird concept for us uh, in the 21st century, uh, and because we don't we don't dress the way that they did in the first century. And, and the idea of girding up your loins uh, in the first century and prior to that was based upon what they wore in the first century. They would wear these really long, flowing robes. Uh, and uh, uh, you couldn't do much in those robes. Uh, and so girding uh, your loins meant that you, you, would, you would take the, the bottom of your robes and you would, uh, you would you'd tie them up and tuck them into your belt. So you, in essence, you went from uh, having pants to having shorts. You, you were uh, now ready to, to move around. And the idea of uh, when, when you tied up your, your robes in that manner, when you, when you girded your loins, uh, the idea was that you were prepared either for athletics or for action in battle. Uh, and again, that's the, the idea here where the ESV has taken this and said, well, uh, it means that, that Peter is calling the, the Christians here uh, to be prepared for uh, action, uh, to be ready uh, in uh, their thinking and their understanding. And, uh, and Peter uh, is really echoing the teaching uh, of Jesus here. Uh, in, in Luke 12, verse 35, 
Jesus in, in teaching his disciples and commanding them to be ready, this is what he says. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Uh, and it's that same idea of girding, girding up your, your loins. Take up your garments and be ready for action. Uh, you're, you're wearing pants, so you need to be, you need to be in shorts and, and ready for, for battle. And that's kind of, again, the cool thing about their clothing. They always had pants and shorts all the time. They could just curl up uh, at any time and be ready. Uh, and the Apostle Peter is not only echoing Jesus here, but he's also echoing the command of God that was given to the Israelites when they were preparing to depart uh, from Egypt. So just uh, uh, in, as uh, Moses is, is warning the Israelites of the, the tenth plague, uh, of the, the death of the firstborn, God gives uh, this command uh, to Israel in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. Uh, and he says, in this manner you shall eat it. Speaking of the Passover meal, he says, hey, uh, I'm going to pass over. Uh, you need to take the, the blood of the lamb and, and put it on uh, the doorframe. Uh, uh, and anybody uh, who has that blood on the doorframe, the, the angel of death will pass over it. Uh, and then you're going to eat this meal from the lamb. Uh, but this is how you're going to eat it. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Because, we just pause and think with me for a second, what was going to take place uh, that night, right? Uh, the, the angel of death, the angel of the Lord was going to come through, uh, and all of the firstborn uh, in Egypt were going to die. Now, anybody whose house did not have the, the blood on uh, the door frame, they were going to lose the, their eldest son. Uh, and so there was going to be uh, some intense grief in Egypt that night. Uh, and, uh, and so God is saying, you need to get ready. Uh, and, and what were they getting ready for? Now, the Israelites were, were going to leave Egypt, but they were going to go initially to Mount Sinai. And they were going to go to Mount Sinai to worship God. But then after Mount Sinai, they were going to go to the Promised Land. Right? They were finally going to what God has been promising them for 400 years in the Abrahamic covenant, that they would live in the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob. And so when, when Moses is giving this instruction of, hey, you eat this meal, but you be ready to leave. You be ready to, to go uh, and uh, know that this journey is going to be long and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be trying. And so you prepare yourself right now and you look forward to the hope at the end of the journey. You look forward to that promised land that we are headed to. Uh, and this is what you and I as believers are called to do. We are called to prepare our minds for action. Uh, that is how we are to begin to set our hope upon the grace that will be brought to us uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, right? it, uh, all of this helps us to understand how we accomplish that main command in this verse. Right? Uh, how do we uh, set our hope? Well, we gird up our minds. We prepare ourselves for action. This is, this is the language of warfare. These are our fighting words. Uh, we are called to prepare for battle in our minds. Uh, but, but what is there to battle in our minds, right? Uh, well, uh, I would say this. So the things we, we most need to battle uh, in our minds would be our own feelings and our fears. Uh, you could uh, add in there our temptation to, to sin uh, and the desire for sin as well. Uh, and all of those 
uh, our feelings, our fears, and our temptations. All of those flow out of the way that we think. All of those are a result of the thoughts that are going through our minds. And so we really must see that uh, the front lines in uh, the battle against our emotions, the front line in the battle against sin, uh, is the way that we think uh, in our minds. Uh, and this is why we are commanded in 2 Corinthians 10.5 uh, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Not every emotion, uh, but the beginning point is uh, how we think. And we're to take that singular thought and say, okay, you're coming with me. Let's go to Jesus. Jesus, what should I think about this? What do you want me to do with this thought, Jesus? Uh, okay, is this is a good thought? All right. Uh, let, let me let me take it and run with it. This is a bad thought. Okay, let me let me cast it aside. Uh, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, and again, our emotions flow out of how we are thinking about a given situation. Okay, if, if you're uh, thinking about this pandemic purely from an earthly perspective, uh, you will more than likely start to grow anxious. Uh, you will more than likely begin to be fearful. Uh, and maybe begin to to panic uh, a little bit. But if you are thinking about this pandemic with a heavenly perspective, uh, you will entrust yourself uh, to a sovereign God uh, who is uh, ruling and reigning over all of human history. And the way that we think about our circumstances uh, governs how we are going to feel about them. That's where uh, in Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verse 23, uh, uh, Solomon, in his wisdom and teaching his son, he says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. When he speaks of the, the heart, he's not just saying your emotions. Uh, the heart was the inner person, where the, uh, the Hebrew idea of your, your inner man encompassed the way that you thought, the way that you felt, the decisions that you made, all of these things. And uh, that's where Deuteronomy 15.9 says, take care, lest be an unworthy thought in your heart. Heart. Uh, so when it speaks of the heart in the Old Testament, it's your inner person. And uh, we have to watch our heart. We have to, to guard our minds, the way that we think. Uh, and this is, uh, as I've taught in the past, we have to think about what we think about. Uh, and, and understand where are where are my thoughts taking me? What path are they uh, setting uh, me down? Uh, and uh, we must be aware of those, and we must prepare our minds to battle uh, against our own thoughts, our own fears. And as I mentioned uh, last week, uh, listening to this biography of, of Stonewall Jackson, uh, the Civil War general, and I've just found it to be fascinating. And, uh, he was a, he had a well-known saying. Uh, that's loaded with biblical truth. He says, never take counsel from your fears. Uh, and I love that. Never take counsel from your fears. Uh, and yet at times, that is exactly what we do, right? Uh, we, uh, we think about how everything might uh, go wrong, uh, and we grow anxious uh, when we do not know how things may turn out. Well, another uh, biblical counselor, Ed Welch, uh, what he does is he, he calls us all false prophets. Uh, he says we all predict things that don't come to pass. Uh, that, that we don't, uh, uh, we, we predict things that, that don't come true, and then we begin to live based upon our false predictions, right? 
Uh, we, we prophesy the future and then begin to live as if our prophesied future is going to be the actual future. And we grow uh, in, in fear. And, and that's where we are, we are called to prepare our minds for action and to, to do battle in our own hearts and our own minds against uh, all of the, the feelings, all of the emotions, all of the fears that rise up within us. Uh, we are called to take those captive to the obedience of Christ. And this is a, a summons for us to be ready in both our mind and our soul. Uh, and this is how we prepare ourselves to set our hope. Uh, our thoughts must be guided by the Word of God. Uh, and um, th- this, is, this is so important. This is how we begin to obey this command to set our hope. Uh, and grace is the object of our hope and thoughts are the preparation of our hope. And then, uh, fourth, uh, we could say that sobriety is the character of our hope. Sobriety is the character of our hope. Uh, And we see this in the little phrase uh, in the ESV. It says, uh, and being sober-minded. The NASV says, keep sober in spirit. Uh, And the NIV says, fully sober. Uh, And the, the, the word here. Uh, means to be self-controlled or to be well balanced. Uh, it means the opposite of intoxication. Uh, and it's not used here in connection with uh, alcohol, but it's, it's used metaphorically uh, to describe uh, clear-mindedness. That, that is what we are called uh, to, a clear mind, a level head. Uh, and, and this verb describes the outcome of our hope on our everyday life, right? Uh, if we prepare our minds for action, the result is going to be uh, that we have a clear-headed way of thinking, even in great trials in life, because our hope is set uh, firmly upon Christ. Uh, and this second description of, of how we are to set our hope stresses this, this characteristic uh, feature of someone who is prepared for action and has their hope uh, set upon uh, our triune God. Uh, and, and this sobriety, this clear-mindedness, it leads to stability in the life of a believer. Uh, and you can think of uh, Psalm 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, and he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. To see that, that's what we need to understand: this sobriety, this clear-mindedness. That it it leads to stability. It makes us like trees, right? Being rooted and, and built up and founded in God's word helps us to be stable, that no matter what the circumstances are, no matter if there's a drought in the land, we continue to stand firm. We continue to to bring forth uh, fruit uh, because uh, of the stability that we gain uh, from the relationship that we have with God. Uh, And that's the idea here. Uh, but uh, when when life gets difficult, as it has just gotten difficult, right? We, we're living in difficult times right now, and these these difficult times, what they do is they squeeze us. Uh, and, and what we have to to look at is what comes out when we are squeezed, right? Uh, 
Uh, if, if I squeeze a sponge, uh, why does dirty water come out? You say, well, you could say, well, because you squeezed it, Thomas. And say, well, uh, why didn't clean water come out? Well, uh, dirty water came out because dirty water within the sponge, right? Uh, so when we when we are squeezed by the circumstances of life, why, why do panic, fear, and anxiety, and doubt uh, come out of our hearts? Well, because that's what was in our hearts to begin with. That's what was going on on the inside. And it's easy uh, for that to take place on the inside uh, and for it not to be revealed when there's no hardship, when there's no difficulty. But when, but when life squeezes us, our hearts get revealed. And what's in our hearts comes out for all to see. But when our hearts are squeezed, is it possible for clean water to come out? Uh, is it possible, rather than, uh, than fear and panic coming out of our hearts at these times, is it possible for the fruit of the Spirit to come, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is, uh, why don't those things come out of our hearts in the middle of difficult circumstances? Uh, and those things will only come out of our hearts uh, if that's what we were cultivating in our hearts before they were squeezed. Uh, and that is the idea here. Uh, that with uh, clear-minded thinking, uh, if we set our hope firmly upon Christ rather than upon our circumstances, then uh, our circumstances can squeeze us and, and clean water comes out. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. Not fear, not panic, not anxiety. Uh, and, uh, and then if we are, are sober-minded and thinking clearly, we are like uh, the, the tree in Psalm 1. Uh, that we are rooted in and firmly established. And so when, when everybody else around us in this world is like a tumbleweed, or as Psalm 1 says, the chaff, uh, when everybody else is, is blowing around in this wind right now, we're, we are firmly established. And we're like, huh, how can I, how can I help them? Uh, how can I be a resource to them? Uh, how can I give them the hope that I have? Uh, but... Uh, when, when, when two tumbleweeds are, are blowing around together, there's no hope for them to share. Somebody has to be rooted. And my prayer is that we would be like trees. As a church, we would be like a forest. Uh, and that all of uh, the, the world around us that's being blown around right now, uh, and driven by, by fear and anxiety, uh, that they would take notice. And that we would, as a forest, be able to reach out to them and catch some of those tumbleweeds share the gospel with them and say, this is why I'm firmly rooted in my circumstances. And, and can I give you this same hope so that you can be rooted here in Christ with me. That is my hope and my prayer for us during this time uh, of pandemic. Uh, that we would have an, an amazing witness because uh, we are the only ones with hope right now. And uh, if you have been paying close attention, you may have noticed that uh, we've covered most of this uh, verse in these, these first four particulars, right? We are commanded to, to set our hope. Uh, grace is the object of our hope. Thoughts are the preparation. Sobriety is the character of our hope. And then there's, there's, there's one small word in this verse that I haven't talked about yet, but that leads to our fifth and final particular 
regarding how we are to have hope in trials. Uh, and uh, that little word is fully, and our fifth particular that we are, will look at is that Christ must be the totality of our hope. Christ must be the totality of our hope. See, uh, what Peter commands us here, he says, set your hope fully. Uh, the, the NASB translates that as completely. Uh, and it's the same Greek word uh, from a verse that hopefully you all have memorized uh, from our gospel presentation in Matthew 5.48, uh, where Jesus says, Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The idea here is that we uh, place our entire hope, not 75%, not 99%, we go all in, we place all of our hope upon Christ and the grace to be brought to us at his second coming. That is what we are commanded to do here, to place all of our hope. Uh, and many of us stand upon the rock of Christ and, and then we begin to, to lean our hands upon something similar just to the way right now I'm, I'm standing behind this, this pulpit. Uh, and I can be standing firmly on Christ, and I'm completely dependent upon Him. But then, uh, what if I begin to, to lean on this pulpit, right? When we begin to lean on other things, uh, and so now my, my weight is, is split, and it's supported by different things. Uh, and those are the things that we, that we tend to do. We, we begin to depend upon the things in this world, the things in this life. We, we lean on them. So yes, I'm standing on Christ, but I'm also going to lean on this just a little bit to make myself a little bit more secure. Right? Jesus provides me some security, but I'm going to lean on my, on my savings account, on my retirement plan, on my, my home, uh, any other resource I have. I'm going to, I'm going to rely upon that. Uh, rather than fully relying upon Christ. But what happens when whatever we are leaning on begins to, to totter, when it begins to, to crack? What if it falls over completely? What happens to you and I? Well, then we begin to realize, okay, I wasn't leaning completely on Christ. Uh, and in these circumstances, I think a lot of us uh, are, are suddenly, uh, we, we were thinking we were standing upon Jesus, but suddenly we found ourselves laying on the ground. Uh, and we're realizing, well, maybe I wasn't completely, maybe I wasn't fully relying upon Jesus. The Apostle Paul, uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he offers this warning, this admonition he, he said, uh, to Timothy. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, uh, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And I just have to say, if we live here in America in the 21st century, we are rich. Right? We have homes to shelter in. We have running water to be able to wash our hands regularly. Uh, there are people uh, throughout the world right now uh, in many countries that are facing this pandemic, and, and how do you how do you call for social distancing when people live in in huts? 
How do you call for, for social distancing among refuges, refugees in Syria or uh, among the, the poor uh, in India? Right? How do you say stay six feet away from each other? Uh, you, you can't do that. How do you say, well, wash your hands regularly? They have no running water. Brothers and sisters, we are rich and, and we need to heed this command not to place our hope in the uncertainty of riches. Uh, and in the Old Testament, uh, Moses warned Israel of the same thing. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 to 14. He says this, And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then in verse 17, that same chapter, it says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. That is our natural tendency to begin to to think uh, that we are the architect of our own security, uh, that we are safe and secure uh, because of what we have done. But no, as we saw two weeks ago, God is our refuge, and He is our strength. He is the ever-present help in times of trouble. And we need to see, and we need to understand that. I love uh, this prayer at the end of uh, Proverbs, uh, chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying, and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And I think we, we've, we've lost sight of some of that. I think we, we've been guilty of falling into that trap that Moses warned the Israelites of back in Deuteronomy 8. I think we, we have grown uh, comfortable in our good homes and, and the multiplication of our gold and our silver and our, our money. Uh, and, and we have relied upon them and we have forgotten about the Lord. Uh, and if in this crisis you, you feel as if you have fallen down, you feel like you have been uh, panicking and, and fearful and anxious, then what, what this verse here in First Peter says is that we must reorient our hearts, that we must take an active role, we must commit ourselves to set our hope firmly upon the grace of God. And, and I have to confess uh, that I myself have, have had moments of anxiety throughout uh, the last few weeks. Uh, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? And, uh, and, and I've found that I'm like, and, and I begin to, to walk down that path and then I catch myself. And I say, oh, Lord, forgive me. And I stop and I literally, whatever I'm doing, I pause and I pray. And I remind myself, uh, of, of the truth of Scripture, the truth of God's Word. Lord, uh, this is not a surprise to you. That you are in control of all of these things. Uh, and Lord, may you help me to trust in you. Help me to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and not be overly concerned with all of these things. 
Uh, again, uh, let me not be anxious for tomorrow, but Lord, let me entrust today to you, uh, and tomorrow will take care of itself, because it's within your hand. And as we've been looking at uh, this one single verse here in First Peter, it's one verse, and yet there's so much truth here, right? There was no easy button, there was no uh, single switch, but uh, there were five particulars uh, that help us to experience hope, that we are commanded to set our hope, that grace is the object of our hope, thoughts are the preparation of our hope, sobriety is the character of our hope, and Christ must be the totality of our hope. And all of this helps us to remember the future. Uh, and we must contemplate that future with regularity. Uh, and you can think of it this way. If, uh, if I told you that you had uh, an inheritance of $500 million that was just given to you. $500 million. Hey, this is what's promised to you. You won't get it today, uh, but it's going to be delivered to you at some point in the future. What would now probably consume your thoughts on a daily basis? for, for the, the next uh, period of time, whatever it may be, until you finally receive that $500 million. Wouldn't you be thinking about all that you would do with that inheritance? Wouldn't you be thinking of how you would put that money to use and, uh, and the joy and how it will fix uh, and, and make life easier in so many things? We would, we would all uh, begin to imagine and think about that future inheritance uh, most of the time. Uh, and yet... Here, we are reminded in Scripture, we have that guarantee. We, we have the promise of a future inheritance uh, that is uh, untouchable and imperishable there waiting for us in heaven. But we, we don't spend the time thinking about it. Now, it doesn't consume our thoughts uh, as, uh, in the same way that it would as if it was a, 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 a tangible uh, inheritance that you would see here in this earthly life. But we must... Not just have an intellectual understanding of, yeah, I have an inheritance in heaven. We have to believe. That we have to set our hope upon Christ and what he has promised us. Uh, and that is what we are called to do. To trust, to look, to set our hope upon that imperishable inheritance that we have waiting for us in heaven. So let us prepare our minds for action. And think about where we are going. Not only having uh, yeah, this intellectual understanding, but firmly believing in our hearts. And then living differently as a result. Right? Knowing should lead to faith. Faith then leads to a transformation in our character. And that transformation in our character should lead to action. We need to begin to live based upon this truth of uh, the gospel that we saw in First Peter Verses uh, 1 through 12, and now the practical implications to set our hope firmly, fully, completely, perfectly upon the grace of God that will be given, that will be brought to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And may we do that this week and each and every day of that pandemic.